0: Issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here.
1: I hope you're having a nice Sunday. I'm just here to introduce you to this week's Chops, in which I speak to the actress Rosie Cavaliero, who you will almost certainly recognise from some comedy series that you love. Honestly, she's been in so much and she's fantastic. We talk about her new Radio 4 comedy, which you can hear on BBC Sounds. That's called The Train at Platform 4, along with some of the many, many other brilliant roles she's had. I use this as an opportunity to rewatch the fantastic Young Doctor's Notebook. We also talk about Unforgotten, about Black Narcissus. Yeah, I had a lovely time. Tuck in. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined over the Zoom by actor Rosie Cavaliero. Rosie, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. You are well set up on the tech, so my favourite kind (laughs) of interview... You're currently on our radio's Radio 4 comedy series, The Train at Platform 4, written by Steve Punt and Hugh Dennis. I've got that the right way around, haven't I? Yeah. Yes. Which I was listening to at the weekend and it's so charming that it made me oddly nostalgic for commuting, something that I've been really glad not to be doing in the last two years.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because I do a lot of train travel because I don't live in London, so... I have to get on the train so much to the point where lockdown was in a way really lovely for me because I didn't have to get that damn train to London all the time. But actually what really struck me about their script was it was really accurate.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> Just all the sort of announcements and just the way the, you know, the way the staff speak to the customer, it's just very, very accurate. I mean, and, you know, the surreal, it is really surreal sometimes, isn't it? The things they say and yeah. come out. So yeah. it, just, it just tickled me. I thought it was, even though it's a, it's a bit bonkers, it's kind of there is a, it's so much truth in it. I agree. There's a bit
1: where you are giving an announcement, and it's full of that sort of language that people don't use, like when they yeah. say when people say yourself rather than you, and and yeah. it's, it's all sort of dressed up to be officious. And and, uh, yeah. and right in the middle of it, you break into into it and say, "I didn't write this, by the way." <laughs> I
0: know, <laughs> and it really
1: made me chuckle.
0: And and you know how those announcers, they quite often like to do their own little comedy spin on things, you know, but they they just made me look because they do often do that on the trains. Like, oh, you know, they must do it to alleviate their own boredom. They sort of have to just do a little stand up act on the announcement, you know. (laughs) So I I thought that was cleverly observed.
1: I used to get stuck a lot. The Cambridge to King's Cross train. Get stuck at oh, yeah. Park a lot and you just sit there. Mm-hmm. And we did have one guy that was absolutely hilarious because because he was basically saying, No one's telling me anything. So <laughs> I'm just here to tell you
0: nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That happened so often. I was on a train. I mean, this is really awful, but I was coming back from Liverpool to London and Liverpool to Bristol, of all places. And we were just, I had to go via Birmingham. And we were stuck outside Birmingham for ages. No one, no one. Not after having all these announcements. Nothing, just went dead for about an hour. Just nothing. I'd missed all my connections at Birmingham. Oh, God. And it was awful. Someone was being stabbed. Someone had been stabbed on the train. Sorry to bring the tone of this (laughs) podcast. But it was just, I was like, oh, my God. It was a sort of Saturday night. And everyone was hammered. And it was the football, it was the rugby and then I sort of peered out the window and saw all these stretchers and police cars and I thought, oh. I was fine. I didn't sort of see anything. I just, when I came out, I saw someone on the stretcher. But
1: Well, I think the train on Platform 4 nails as well is that it's actually the small inconvenience. Because I've been on yeah. trains that have stopped for in, for snow, you know, that have broken down. I've been on a train yeah. once where the police came on and arrested somebody. I mean, that a bit like your story was <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of oddly exciting. But, yeah, yeah. but actually, it's the trains that haven't had a working toilet that are the ones that are like yeah. burned into my brain. <laughs> just like and no water yeah yeah you've run for you've been out of the pub you've run for a train you've got on it and you pulls out of the station oh. and then it says um we don't have any toilets." Yeah. so you just think i'm I'm never gonna make yeah. it
0: no absolutely it's hell hell on earth So smells when people get their takeaway their hideous takeaway burgers yeah there's something about the smell of them they just make me want to gag they just dominate the whole train don't yeah
1: they? yeah god people the, the are joys. Pe- People's behaviour on trains is just a, just appalling. I want to no. ask you about radio acting mm. because mm. it's not something that it occurred to me would have been hard work, particularly until I started doing a podcast and I realised think- that most of the reasons that people laugh at me is because I've pulled a funny face or because I've done like <laughs> a really melodramatic shrug or something and none of that stuff is available to you. So actually, it now strikes me that it's really, really hard work. Is that
0: the case? no A joy of radio if you're an actor if, and, you know as I'm sure many people have said and you probably feel the same when you're doing a podcast is that you don't have to um you don't have to dress up you don't have to yeah. put your makeup on you don't have to learn your lines <laughs> <laughs> so all, all those things are kind of big pluses but the hard thing I think with radio is to really hit hit it it's the soft spot it's very difficult to get the tone exactly right I think sometimes it can go too much sometimes it can be too little I think it's 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 getting the the intimacy with the mic you know I think there is there is a quite a skill in being um understanding the microphone and understanding it's very close to you and just like a camera it picks everything every little thing up yeah you know vocally and breath and everything you have to sort of almost treat it like you're screen acting and just keep it very very simple and real um, unless you're doing something kind of really sort of way way out but I do sometimes think with radio drama or radio comedy, it, it, it works when everyone's kind of understood the tone, kept it sort of intimate, I think. I think so. when the person's listening, they feel like they're sort of eavesdropping on something or, yeah, you know, and it's not too sort of over-delivered or over-pushed. And I think, I think it's hard to get it right. I, I can't say I've always got it right. I've, do, I've done it for so many years and I love the medium and I think it's a really, it's a really lovely medium to keep working at and improving at and yeah. exploring.
1: Agreed. The upside as well yeah. is that you when you are on a train full of children, you don't <laughs> actually need to be on a train full of children.
0: No. That was all done it very good. James, who's our director, he's brilliant. He's he's a brilliant director. I've worked with him loads of times. He's a really brilliant editor. He's he's so clever with music, sound, intercutting mm. and he's creating an atmosphere through um sound. He's incredible actually. And he, well, there weren't any children. <laughs> that was all just added on, you know. Yeah. Um, he's really clever at
1: that. I wanted to speak to you because you are in so much brilliant stuff. Oh, and I was looking you. through your Wikipedia page, your IMDB hmm. page, and I think that maybe possibly with the exception of Kevin Eldon, there's <laughs> nobody who's worked with so many people oh. in comedy as you oh. have. I actually wrote a list. You've worked yeah. with Steve Coogan and Armando <laughs> Iannucci, with French and Saunders, with Rhys Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, with Julia Davis, with Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse, and with Mackenzie Crook, with Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, with Catherine Tate. That's quite oh, the wow. list.
0: I love hearing that list. Thank you. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, I feel I do feel really lucky. I feel so lucky to work with all these amazing people. I love working with all of them. I suppose it's just I, I enjoy working collaboratively and in a team. I really admire all of them. And I sorry, I'm just lathering here. <laughs> yeah, I just feel really, really lucky that, that, that they've all wanted to work with me, or I've had the chance to work with them. I think I'm quite good at just sort of slotting in and <laughs> kind of you know get what I'm given. I work work with it. Don't make too much fuss and just try and get on with everyone. I think I think half of it half of the sort of longevity in this business is is basically getting on with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Turning up on time, doing a good job, but but also being a good team player and yeah being okay to have around, you know, I think it just makes it easier for everyone, you know, if if, if you're not if you're not sort of coming in with too many issues and
1: Are you at a stage now where you don't have to audition because people Oh no, everyone. I still
0: I still no, but... I still have to audition. Yeah. Not all the time, but a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I still do. Yeah.
1: And yeah. given that list is there anyone sort of out there making comedy that you think oh god I'd love to be in one of their things?
0: Oh yeah there's loads. And now of course I've gone completely blank. <laughs> oh god there's loads. I love I love Jamie Dimitriou. I've never worked with him. Well actually no I ha- I, oh, I did do I did do something with him. I did a taste it wasn't his project. It was someone else's but that's so I met him on that. I've never worked with Vic and Bob. Female. Well if they're listening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> actually there's so many amazing female comics coming up now You're yeah. just so have worked with Sharon Horgan. We did a taster a taster thing together, but I don't think it, it got picked up. But yeah. She's so brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. But, uh, so no, there are plenty of people I'd still love to work with. <laughs> <laughs> now,
1: whenever I'm gonna interview someone, I always like to go back and watch something that they've done. Right. And so I decided in this instance <laughs> I was going to go back and watch the young doctor's notebook.
0: Oh my God. Thank you for picking that Quite niche, yeah. wonderful well, thing. It I'm... is quite niche. And I kept thinking,
1: <laughs> why did more people not watch this? Because I do it was... not
0: understand
1: it. But then yeah. I re-watched it. And, yeah. and you know when people say, oh, I like dark comedy. Yeah. This is really dark. I mean, man, yeah. at one point... Like, you're, you're amputating yeah. a child's <laughs> legs with a blunt saw while John Hamm is having some sort of morphine withdrawn in the <laughs> background. And it
0: takes about five minutes. It's I know. A, It's so it's dark. So, it's so dark. And my character having the affair with Daniel Radcliffe, yeah. I'm 22 years older than him, <laughs> and then injecting him with morphine at the end of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was really dark. And I was, you know, to have those two people attached to start with was enormous. And I just thought, my God, you've got... Daniel Radcliffe and John Hamm. Surely the world is going to be tuning in, and, you know. But, but it's sort of like didn't. I don't think the world did. Tune in. But it was. It was really. I think it was a the project. They both. They both loved the book, and I think they both wanted. They both kind of came together to to work on it. Of course, once they, those two wanted to do something, and then everyone rallied round. But yeah, it was that was a brilliant job. And I remember, you thinking, God, I'm t- 22 years old. Daniel Radcliffe. I'd have about three sex scenes with him, which was just mortifying. But I didn't have to get my kit off or anything like that, thank God. <laughs> I had to sort of do a mad sort of sex scene up against a medicine cabinet with my glasses on and then another sort of bed scene that I'm wearing where I'm wearing hideous kind of thermal underwear. But I was still mortified that I was basically <laughs> old enough to be his mother. And John Hamm, who's lovely, but I found with John Hamm, I either had verbal diarrhoea around him or I was completely mute. And it took me about sort of three, <laughs> three weeks to kind of work out how to sort of be around him yeah. without sort of coming across as insane. But actually, then as soon as you realise they're all just normal people, then you know, it's, it's all fine. But that was lovely. And it was, that's where I met Vicky Pepperdine, who has yeah. become a really great friend. And we, we're trying to get something together, together ourselves. So it was a really amazing job. Yeah. Yeah, and, it is, it's uh, terrific. And just wacky and mad. And, you
1: know. Like I say, when you say things are dark, I mean, it's set in the Russian Revolution. And, yeah. and they're, they're hacking bits of people. <laughs> people <laughs> I know. Blood. We, it, it's so weird. But I, we I had, genuinely love it.
0: We had this amazing FX person, that, you know, prosthetics that would come in with various sort of, you know, wounds and kind of blood and gunge and innards and go, yes, oh. <laughs> she'd come in every day, she'd made them all of so chop them on. The- and it was, yeah, it was incredible, actually. Really, really incredible.
1: Yeah. Happy yeah. days. a poor pelagaya she, she
0: just I know because I
1: also think that actually the the end of it when when like she dies and and I know. and John Ham is just berating Daniel Radcliffe for how he's treated her I actually think it says something quite interesting about how how hard or how easy we sometimes go on our younger selves if you know what I mean Yes yeah I, yes. I think there's Absolutely. a great point yeah. in there
0: I remember that day because I had John Ham weeping at my bed, and I was covered in pustules. And I thought, oh, I'm <laughs> looking, looking my best for John Ham, uh, <laughs> but it, it was nice that he was grieving her because otherwise it would have been quite cruel, really, wouldn't it? That yeah. She she was just used for morphine because basically that's what she was. Yeah. Uh, he was a drug addict, and he you know he kind of exploited her, and she sort of really did love him. So it was very very sad. Very sad. Yeah. It was really it was such a great project to be part of. I, do, I wish they'd do more things like that, you know, a bit more sort of quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Non-mainstream stuff, you know. Yeah, I think, because
1: oh, also, like, you were in Hunderby, and, oh, and Man, no. I adored Hunderby as well. Oh, but yeah. I think the problem is, at the point that they were being made, Sky hadn't quite got as many sort of subscribers. Now mm. we've, with Netflix and Amazon, we've got yeah. more into a sort of a subscriber-based model, so more people are watching Sky comedies. But they kind yeah. of just sort of died on their ass a bit, not because they weren't yeah. good, but, but just yeah. because most of the audience didn't have access to them. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. There's so many. Um, like, if you didn't have Sky, then you basically you can't catch it on any other unless you have Now TV. Yeah,
1: but I, I don't know. think Now TV existed in those days either. No, did it? Yeah. and you
0: also can't get DVDs. So, like, you can't get a DVD of. I don't think you could get a DVD of Hunderby. You certainly couldn't get not? a DVD. You couldn't get it of the second one we did the specials, which gutted me because I wanted to buy loads and give them as friends because I've got, people you know, people who love Julia Davis yeah. and love love all her stuff and loved Hunter B, you know. But if you haven't got access to, yeah, it's a bit of a it is a bit of a shame that
1: because... yeah, really hard for example to get hold of Psychoville.
0: Oh, is it? Yeah, and I don't know why
1: because it's a work of genius.
0: Yeah, work of genius. Is he not on iPlayer? No. Uh, it was. It's
1: not on the iPlayer. I think it used to be on that old BBC buy service, but they closed uh, that down. So oh, yeah, that's so annoying. Yeah, it is what? when it is so great. I think you and can you... get it on DVD because I ended up buying it on DVD oh. to give to someone as a present.
0: I remember it was camping. I wanted to get on DVD to give everyone. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't in oh, camping. But camping, it was amazing. And I remember saying I want to buy loads of it because because people didn't have Sky and they couldn't see, and you couldn't get it on DVD. Yeah. And I remember thinking, it's so good. You just want everyone to know about it. You know?
1: Everybody needs to see, what's he called, David?
0: Um, uh, I know who you mean. Uh, um, see him
1: with his <laughs> cock and balls pressed <laughs> oh, against the window and Vicky Peppertine just saying, no, thank you. <laughs> oh,
0: I know! Fantastic. Uh,
1: Now, see, apart from being the female Kevin Eldon, you actually <laughs> do do a lot of drama. And you you've again, some great names here. You've worked with Mike Lee and Sally Wainwright, who I could talk about both of them for an hour. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. what I wanted to stop and ask you about, just an incredible piece of television, which is series two of Unforgotten, oh, which was gosh. amazing. Yeah,
0: it was amazing. And really yeah.
1: powerful. I mean, to the degree that, that lots of people I know have described it as like a really great series of TV. That includes people who had gone through some of the experiences that you guys, which is abuse for anyone who yeah, has wow. watched it. Yeah, yeah. wow, yeah. Ju- yeah, I just thought it was incredible. Given that you generally do do much more lighthearted stuff, what was that like as an experience? Amazing.
0: Ah, oh, God, I-, I loved that job. It was special for so many reasons, you know, A, because it was an amazing role. Um, I-, I loved that character. Also, the subject, you know, we had to handle it so well and delicately and sensitively, and I think they did that working with Chris, who wrote the scripts, and Andy, the director, Andy Wilson, who's amazing, and the cast. Um, but it was just, for me, really nice to play this, this woman who had a journey, you know, an emotional journey in the past and, and playing someone with a secret and just really interesting, you know, what playing somebody who is apparently existing normally, you know, but actually isn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's sort of haunted by this terrible event that happened to her and, and abuse we did quite a lot of research. We went to an, a sort of a, a charity, that a phone charity that deals with people who have been it's sort of sexually abused by family and things like that, and, and not just family, you know, anybody. And that was that was very interesting, and it was just I just felt very very privileged to have been able to play that role. Those roles come along very very rarely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: the thing. They just don't come along very often, you, you know. So you get you get a chance, and you go, oh, and then then they don't really, you know. It's, it's just those really great roles; they're just rare.
1: Basically. Yeah, yeah, and I was,
0: yeah. Really amazed. Because
1: she's such a she was such a complex character. Because she's yeah. Marion, she, not easy to like by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, no. That's but, what I
0: loved about her. Yeah, yeah,
1: but carrying this terrible, terrible secret around with her that once once you'd you'd work that out, yeah. Suddenly, you know everything about Marion became sense. became clear there's a great bit in it where she she she, she describes the ira mm. euphemistically as something like the republicans oh yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and he says to her what do you mean the ira it's just yeah, her, her it's... sort of h- how she'd managed to work her way around the truth i just thought was yes. incredible yeah she's yes, a really interesting yes. character
0: and i love the fact that she wasn't particularly likable but she could be likable so she had this kind of one minute was lovely one minute not very nice that kind of slightly schizophrenic so yeah of, but often people who have had trauma like that, you know, it's, uh, it obviously it just manifests itself, doesn't it, in so many ways. But um, I loved her sort of chop and changey kind of nice, not nice, <laughs> and being quite funny, you know, quite acerbic and the relationship with her sister. And, and that was great because I worked with Wendy Craig. <laughs> so she played my mum. I remember that year was great. I'd had Geoffrey Palmer playing my dad in a radio, uh, brilliant radio play. Catherine Jakeways had written and then later on I did this <laughs> with, with um, Wendy Craig played my mum so I felt like I'd <laughs> come into the butterflies.
1: Yeah sitcom dream. Yeah 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 that
0: yeah, brilliant. yeah.
1: Oh, that's terrific. Is, is there mm. a reason you do more comedy than drama? Is it just the, role, the roles you get offered or is it just what, what, what appeals more?
0: It's interesting isn't it because it's that funny old um, comedy drama getting put into put into a camp you know as you do when you're a performer quite easy to just get put into the comedy camp you know oh she does comedy you know they do comedy and I think some people don't understand that (laughs) comedy is really hard drama drama is really hard too but I think people think if you do comedy therefore you can't do drama which is kind of insane yeah but I always think my my attitude is you approach them both exactly the same so you know you take a role you you play that role as, as truthfully and as well as you can and you when you're doing comedy i don't think you should play it for laughs anyway so mm. you know you just play the role i think totally straight at both ends and i wish i could do more drama and more i love to, i love doing comedy i'd love to do more drama too and i do i do lucky that i do do drama I'm really lucky that i do but yeah I do, you don't you want to be able to do both genres you don't want to be sort of put in one camp yeah. which does tend to happen a bit yeah but,
1: yeah because but... there are people who do because i spoke to amelia bullmore a couple of years ago about mm. exactly this mm. and she said She's been doing more drama recently because that's what she's been offered recently. But yeah, yeah they're like two different muscles. And it's Yeah, think, I yeah. love
0: Amelia. Yeah, I yeah. love Amelia too. Yeah, um, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to just... I think, I think more comedians... I mean, I thought more funny women are doing drama. Like Kerry Godnaman's doing quite a lot of drama mm. now. And I think it is happening that, that you can sort of cross between the genres. And yeah. uh, But I still, I still think there is this feeling of comedy and drama.
1: Well, comedy's still not very well respected, is it? No.
0: It's always like lower budget and. Yeah. And never, it it rarely wins awards. (laughs) No.
1: Unless they're specifically comedy awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It rarely wins awards.
0: I think people think comedy's easier and it, God, it isn't. God, it isn't. isn't. It's harder. You know? Yeah. Um, But I think there's an assumption, you know, that it is. Oh, to do comedy. Comedy's so difficult to get right. It's so. And I remember years ago, I was talking to a friend and he was saying, you know, comedy, if you, if people don't find something funny, they get really angry. They get really sort of enraged by it. You know, I'm so angry. And they're sort of like, this is so bad. This is so, you know, like you see on Twitter and they get yeah. so annoyed about, how dare this thing think it's funny and blah, blah, blah. And then, but with drama, it doesn't elicit that kind of ferocious response. You know, that if it, <laughs>
1: if, it yeah. if it
0: doesn't sort of tickle someone or, you know, or send them into they don't kind of go complete nuts about it. But comedy seems to really sort of send people to a, to a frenzy yeah. if they don't, you know, if they don't like it. It's, it's... Weird, comedy is hard to please. It's hard to please everyone. Not everyone finds something's funny. You know, it's it's comedy is quite specific, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, much um, more
1: though. I mean, there are things that I could sit down and watch. You know, with various friends or various members of my family that you know, a drama and we could all enjoy it. But you, you're right, there's always someone who doesn't really get what it is that you're yeah. watching when it's <laughs> comedy. There's always yeah. someone that's like, shall I
0: go make a cup of tea?
1: Because Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah, like, they I just don't get you, it. Whoosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so a- true. Absolutely. Can, can I ask you what you got coming up soon? That's Raisin? a really good
0: question. <laughs> well, I'm having a nice quiet January. So I've got a second series of Gentleman Jack coming
1: out. Ooh! Which,
0: yeah, which we we had a lot of stop start with because of COVID. Yeah. I was, I felt so sorry for the producers because it was like, right, we're stopping for two weeks. Someone's got COVID and all oh, right. Stopping again for another two weeks. And, but you know, we managed to go back and forth, back and forth. And so we finished that. Uh, when did we finish that? November, September, November, uh, end of September, I think it was. So that's going out. I don't know when. And then I did um, a third series of code 404 for Sky Oh, and then I Stephen did... Graham. Yeah, yeah. We did the third, we've just finished the third series of that. And yeah, with Steve and Danny Mays, and yeah. Anna Maxwell Martin, Michelle Greenidge, Tracy Ann Oberman, Richard Gadd. Uh, yeah, that's, been, that's yeah. been.
1: Well done on doing the list because I, I just know. went, oh, Stephen I Graham. I know, I know. <laughs> Do
0: you to my left hand? Yeah, that, so they're, they're, those two are great. And so we finished that. And then I, I did another show for Sky. So it's an adaptation of a book called Funny Girl by Nick Hornby, it's been adapted by Maul Wannabanks, who's wonderful. And it's six parts, six hour long eps. Have you read the book by Nick Cornby? No. So it's about, it's set in the 60s and it's it's really clever. It's sort of like looking at how, how one woman from the north in the 60s wants to be an actress but doesn't really know how and be a comedian. How she sort of moves to London and breaks into telly. And it's about the whole sort of look at the sexism of that time and what women had to put up with. And it also looks at the writers. So there's a kind of... There's writers in it that are sort of based on Galton and Simpson, but it's not them. Right. So like a writing double act who are writing these sitcoms, like a mainstream sort of family sitcom. And this, and the, the leading actress is Gemma Arterton, and she's playing the funny girl. The name, name, the name funny girl. And I'm playing, I'm playing her aunt who's stuck in Blackpool, who's kind <laughs> of brought her up, and um, it's a bit of a, a bit of a misery. <laughs> <laughs> But but it, it is a really quite a funny role. And it's, you know, it's with David Threlfall, who plays her dad. We sort of represent the kind of Blackpool, stuck-at-home Blackpool side of her life. And then it sort of merges with her London life. And it's about her sort of crossing the two. But it is based on the book, but it sort of branches out in other ways and develops other characters. And hopefully that's going to be fun. I hope so. Yeah, we finished that just before Christmas. Um... You always seem to get a job
1: where you get to dress up as well.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God, that that how women wore those clothes yeah everything was sort of nipped in so I was just uncomfortable all the time I was in <laughs> uh, just always in kind of hideous this hideous bra that was like a sort of pointy cones I can they've they got a name I can't remember the call but they they give you that 60s kind of weird bosom. oh yeah I know what you mean um so I had to wear one of those and then because everything was so tight and sort of zipped and I could never get any of the zips up so I was having to wear sort of spanks which mm. were agony and I'm never wearing those again and then, sort of, little funny, like, you know, little shoes that are just too pinched. And just the clutch. How do the hell are those poor women dress like that in those days and having to have their hair done? And it's just the fashion, it's just so uncomfortable compared to what we're. So I'm guessing <laughs> yeah. a habit
1: is really comfortable.
0: Habit was amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Joy. Because Gemma was in that when we did yeah. that.
1: That was great as well. We well, all say- we had to
0: do was show up, put our habits, on. makeup was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye. Oh, it was bliss. We know costume changes. Oh, it was wonderful. Oh, that was a lovely job. Yeah, went to Nepal. Oh, oh man. really? I, I should stop yeah. and say this is Black
1: Narcissus yeah. we're talking about, oh, yeah. just Black in Larsis, case anyone yeah. doesn't doesn't know.
0: You went Black to Nepal. Went to Nepal, and it's based on a book by Rumer Godden. It was obviously the very famous film that was Powell and Pressburger that came out in the. 30s or 40s I think it was 40s I think yeah yeah 40s So we were we were daring to touch that but ours was more of a ours was going back to the book you know properly going back to the book and adapting that sort of yeah psychological. it was a, another amazing job I mean oh god going to Nepal was just because it was we came back in and then we've, we've, we went to Nepal in sort of October came back finished it all in Pinewood and then it was Christmas and then lockdown happened so it was like that's the last time I've ever been on a plane was going there and going abroad
1: anyway. <laughs> that was that was like fate saying now you've seen the board, you're done. <laughs> that's it that's it you're not going away again you're done it's just the kitchen from now on in. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly yeah uh, that that was a dream job absolute dream job yeah and we had this amazing Danish director Helena Brussa Christensen We used to call her the Great Dane Uh, who was a a D.O.P. Uh, She is a D.O.P. in her own right, a brilliant D.O.P., but this was the first time she sort of directed it. So she directed it, D.O.P'd it, and and was the camera operator. So she's she's incredible. Uh, Yeah, it was brilliant, brilliant um, adaptation.
1: Um, How much of an endurance test was it to get there?
0: uh, Quite hard because we had to, yeah, we had to fly. So we we flew to Turkey, changed, and went to Kathmandu. And then we stayed there. And then we had to go to this, the gateway of the Himalayas, which is called Pukora, where you have to adjust. So you have to have a night there. And then you get this tiny, tiny, terrifying plane through the Himalayas, which I was, everyone was really relaxed apart from me. I was just sat there. Ah, ah, I could just see myself. I just saw mountains. We're going to crash. And, and then we sort of landed. And you're, you're in really, really thin air. So then you get quite dizzy and yeah. you have to sort of, have to get acclimatized to that wow so but that's so it was just an adventure you know and then we stayed in oh it's just beautiful but it was an adventure but the, they, that plane ride you I started to I see of, the
1: appeal of the habit at that point yeah
0: but also just if i was younger i think i would have found that plane ride fine but i think just as i got older i've just got more fearful i don't know just the things like i'm going to crash it you know more like, i think when i was young and i've got this plane's great you know so what but yeah. i just got more fearful in my 50s i think
1: dying (laughs) yeah I do I I mean I I wonder how much I mean that was before the pandemic but I do wonder about myself about the pandemic because I'm 47 am I 47 yeah maybe I'm 48 I don't you're know a baby I'm terrible but <laughs> yes. it's exactly the wrong age for me to basically be enforced to stay in my house because I might <laughs> enjoy it too
0: much yeah. So, oh, no. so
1: yeah I'm trying really hard not to be like just scared and yeah. and those things and try and be a bit more you know outside but I think yeah you do when you're older I mean, you have, you have yeah. some concept of, of of yeah what what life there is that
0: that nice feeling i don't have to go out (laughs) i don't have to go anywhere yeah i know but i like you i'm trying to get myself out of it as well
1: yeah
0: oh rosie this has been an
1: absolute pleasure
0: thank you so much for having me i love this podcast thank you so much and at issue for all women.